You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at BethanyNaz.org. You know, uh, years ago when my oldest daughter, Brittany, was, was pretty young, I think she was in the third or fourth grade, I, um, I ended up coaching her soccer teams actually for years, and Morgan's as well, and only in rec soccer. So I remember one, one game we were playing, and we have been winning, I think, every game that season, and I was pretty excited about that. And, and we get into this one game, and I remember somewhere after this second half had started, this mother gets up, and she comes walking around the field over to where I was. So let me remind you, this is rec soccer. This is not World Cup, okay? And so she gets over to me, and she says, I think maybe we need to calm down a little bit today. And I was pretty sure she didn't mean we because she seemed really calm. I think she meant I needed to calm down a little bit. And so uh, she said, this is rec soccer and this is not about winning. This is about having fun. And, and I thought it was kind of cute to say to her, yeah, but it's more fun when you're winning, you know. <laughs> she didn't find amusement in that. And she said, listen, you've made three of our girls cry already today. And I think we need to calm down. And I think that's probably when reality set in for me. And I realized that I'd been a little too worked up. And probably what was happening was my girls were playing under their ability. And the other team, I think, was playing above their ability. And I think I had a fear that kind of set in that we might lose this game. And I didn't want to lose to this team. And I was frustrated. What do you do with anger? I remember this family invited us to go see their son play high school basketball. So we went. We enjoyed it. Except the son was maybe underperforming in his dad's eyes. And I think maybe because we were there, he really wanted me to see what his son could do. And he just kind of got frustrated and he started taking it out on the coach. And he started then yelling at the refs. And then his wife tried to apologize for his behavior. And then they kind of got into it. And we didn't really know him that well. And it just got terribly awkward in that moment. You know, we're just like, and we don't know what's going on. We don't see anything that's happening. Nett and I were driving home the other night and there was an accident and so you were going really slow to get up to the accident. And then when you got to it and you had to go around kind of at this intersection and I thought I was doing the right thing because I was just following the car in front of me but the car to the left of me got really irritated at something I did and just laid on his horn, you know, for a long time and then just guns it and speeds off. I'm thinking, really? You're going to get that upset? I I don't even know what I did, you know? It's amazing to me, people who are driving and just gesture to you and all kinds of things because they think you're doing something not quite right in driving. What do you do do with anger? What what do you do with this emotion that we all live with called anger? And how how do you regulate that in your life? So, so, So Jesus, Jesus one day, one day says, you've heard it said, by people long ago, that you should not commit murder. But I say to you, Jesus Christ says, but I say to you, if you are angry with your brother or your sister, you are in danger of judgment. So let me, let me take you to Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at those words of Jesus together. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 21. We're in a series called A Life Well Lived. And so how do you know if you're living life correctly? How do you know 
if you're doing it right? Is there a code for that? Is there, are there instructions that tell me how to live my life well? Well, Jesus says at the end of this Sermon on the Mount that we're studying together over the next several weeks, he says, anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, essentially he's saying that is a life well lived. That's a life based on the right things. So let's listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 21, okay? You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or his sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, raka, which means like uh, idiot or stupid or you imbecile or you're empty-headed, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So what's the alternative? If those are the things we should not do, then what should we do? And Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Or he gives another example. Let's say uh, you need to settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So may God bless his word for us today. You know what I think happened that day on the soccer field? It was not good because probably most of the team knew that I was a pastor and a couple of the families were visiting our church already. I think what happened was I had expectations that weren't met. I I really thought my girls were going to play at a higher level than they were playing, and they weren't. And I got frustrated. And then all of a sudden I realized, I'm going to lose a game to this team. We shouldn't lose to this team. I was afraid of losing. We're in this series, and as we're in this series, many groups, small groups, Sunday school classes are studying a book along with us. It's called The Good and Beautiful Life by James Bryan Smith. And and James Bryan Smith says in his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, here's what is a result, here's what anger is a result of. It's it's two primary ingredients. It's it's unmet expectation combined with fear. So so when I think about my own life, just being honest with you this morning, that's not really easy to do because I'm gonna be I'm gonna be confessional to you. When I get angry, Most of the time it's because things aren't going the way I wanted them to go or expected them to go or hoped they would go. And I get frustrated. And and I tend to mope a little bit and get a little quiet and just kind of that slow burn thing going on. And I just get a little down because things aren't happening like I wanted them or expected or thought they would happen. And sometimes that's coupled with fear, and sometimes that leads to me to become angry. So so when I think about anger, I mean, I've just got like lots of questions in my mind. So so what about the person this morning who is sitting among us who is abused? I mean, badly abused, maybe as a child, and they're dealing with anger toward that person. 
Or what does the Bible say about anger? Because when I open the Bible, I read words like these from a guy named Paul. And he says, put off all anger. (laughs) And I hear Jesus say, if you're angry with your brother or your sister, guess what? You're in danger of judgment, buddy. But, But then on the other side, I read Paul who says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. And so I think he's saying there's such thing as righteous anger. And it may be okay to be angry about the same things that God gets angry about. You know what I remember being most angry about? The one thing in all of my life that I felt the most anger? I was a college student. And I became aware of a young boy who was, who was, who was severely, severely abused. I've never felt that kind of emotion ever in my life before or since. I think that anger was placed correctly. I think God was angry about that. But Paul says, be careful because even that kind of anger could lead to sin. So what I want to do for these next few moments that we have together is just talk about these words of Jesus, okay, that he gives us that I read you a moment ago. And the good thing is that Jesus is very specific and clear what kind of anger and words directed that he's talking about. So let's, let's chat about that for a few minutes. First, I'm just going to talk to you about this warning that Jesus gives us. And then we're going to talk about the alternatives that Jesus gives us to living a life filled with anger. And then we'll talk about why that's so important, okay? So here we go. So Jesus gives us these words and you understand that he's talking largely in part to a group of people who are called Israelites or the people of God, the people of the nation of Israel. Now, for the Israelites, the law was very important. We talked about this three weeks ago, rightfully so. It was given to them by God. And so if God says, this is what I want you to do, then the people of Israel are saying, well, then we're going to do our best to do it. The, the problem sometimes with law or sets of rules is that we can become moralistic. If I just do what I'm supposed to do, that's what's important. If I just perform at the level that God's asking me to perform, then I'm okay. Here's, here, here's the problem. We tend to manipulate rules. And we tend to bend them to make them work to our advantage. We tend to feel proud when we say, I haven't broken that rule. But we don't understand at all the spirit of the law. What's in our hearts? And so Jesus says, you've heard it said that you should not murder. And and you can straighten up and feel real proud about yourself and say, I've kept that law. I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus says, I'm telling you, if you are angry with your brother or your sister, you are in danger of judgment. Don't you understand the spirit of the law? Don't you understand that it's about what's in your heart? And you may feel really good about yourself because you've never killed anybody, but you've hated your brother or your sister for years. Don't you understand what God is trying to say to you? And so Jesus talks about anger and he defines it carefully. When he first says, if you're angry with your brother or your sister, he's talking about this kind of smoldering anger that we let build in our hearts. We let its roots get deep in our heart and we let it grow. It's something that we nurture. I'm, I'm kind of mad at this person. I'm, 
I'm going to stay mad at this person for a while. I'm angry with them and I'm not, I'm not getting beyond it for a while. I don't care what you say or what anybody says. I'm not getting over this. I'm, I'm mad and I'm going to stay mad about it. I'm angry and I'm going to stay angry. Kind of nurturing this kind of anger. But then when he moves on through the passage and he says, but if you say to your brother Raka, which is really saying to somebody, you idiot, you imbecile, you stupid human being, don't you have a brain in your head? (laughs) When your anger begins to manifest itself in that kind of human behavior, Jesus says, you're in danger of being judged. But when you say to your brother or your sister, you fool, you really question their ability to understand morality. You're really saying you don't know truth and what is false. You don't know what is right and what is wrong. Jesus says at that moment you're in danger of judgment, of the very fires of hell. So I don't know about you, but I think for a lot of my years, I kind of thought about judgment of being something, you know, at the end of life only. Yeah, one day I'll stand before God and I'll be judged. And so there's lots of verses in the Bible that I probably learned when I was pretty young, like it's appointed unto man once to die and then comes the judgment. So after you die, everybody gets judged. Or there's verses like, When you come to the great judgment seat of Christ, you will be judged on your deeds while on this earth, whether good or bad. Wow. So there's this day that comes at the end of everything, and we all stand before God, and He judges us. And and I think that that's what Jesus is talking about. But I don't think that it's delayed until after this life. I think every time... I let anger grow in my heart. It changes me. I think every time I nurture that smoldering anger and I let it grow, I think it changes who I am. I think it makes me less of what God intended me to be. I think it keeps me from being who God is wanting me to become. I've been quoting this little line or two for years with you. Heaven and hell are not just places we go when we die. They are places we have been going all along. Day by day, choice by choice, decision by decision, we simply become who we are. Do you understand the love of Jesus He doesn't come to us from this authoritative position that says, Hey, you guys need to quit being so angry. No. As a loving father would look at you, he looks at you and says, Do you have any idea what this is doing to you? Do you understand what it's doing to relationships that you're in? Do you understand that it's changing you? Do you understand that it's keeping you from being all that God dreams about you becoming? But my grace, you can get a hold of this. And you've got to. It's, it's the love of Jesus this morning saying, I want so much more for you than this. 
I want your life to be so much more full than this. When I dream about your future, I dream about so much more than you're having. But as long as you keep this stuff in your heart, you're never going to get there. So if Jesus says, don't do this, don't harbor anger in your hearts, then what's the alternative? And so Jesus really gives two examples. He says, let's suppose that, um, that you are in this situation, this position where that you go to worship, okay? Um, so I don't know about you, but I think when I go to church on Sundays, um, even before a preacher gets up to preach, I, I tend to see myself for who I really am. So there are these moments in my life when I'm in church and I just, I just, I quit singing and I just bow my head and I start praying. And sometimes it's a prayer of confession because when I find myself in the presence of God, I see Him in all of His holiness and purity and I see my impurity and my unholiness. Do you ever feel that? Wow. Here I'm in God's presence and look at me. Look at, look at what I thought last week or what I did or what I said to my spouse or God forgive me. So Jesus says, when you go to the altar to worship, to offer in those days a sacrifice, and it was a live animal that you would purchase and you would take down to the altar. Seems kind of odd to us. We don't do that. You, really? They, they, they did that. When you get there and you remember that you've offended somebody, that they have something against you, leave your gift there. Just leave the animal stand at the altar and go back. Now what's ironic about it is that Jesus is really probably exaggerating and trying to be funny because he's talking to people in Galilee. He's saying when you go to the temple in Jerusalem, which is three days journey away, leave your gift there, travel the three days back, which it wouldn't be acceptable to leave it there anyway all week. Who would feed it? Go back three days, make things right, then travel back three days and make the offering. Why is he exaggerating? Because he's trying to make a point. And the point that he's trying to make is that you want to live your life in such a way that when you come to worship in the house of God, that there is nothing between you and him and all relationships are resolved. You understand that this relationship, my relationship with God, cannot be right if my relationship with you is wrong. The Bible says, inasmuch as it lies within you, Live at peace with all men. Do everything you can to be at peace. And only then do you realize fullness in your relationship with God. Until you get the horizontal down, the vertical is not going to be right. After our first service this morning, I pray with people at the altar who are saying, these, these relationships are not right. It's keeping me from being right here. Then he uses a second example. So if somebody's trying to sue you, say, hey, wait a minute. On the way to court. Why are you still on the way? Sit down. Let's work this out. But if I go to court, I might get more out of them. Jesus says, don't think that way. Think about living in peace with people. We are members of the kingdom of God. And this is how we think. Anybody ever say, um, sometimes I just want to be mad. Can I just be angry? Is that okay for a while? Can I just be ticked off for a little bit? Is that a problem with anybody? Sometimes I like being mad. 
Sometimes it's kind of comforting to be mad for a while. I remember a guy that I knew, and he passed away a few years ago. But I think if I described him, I would say he was just mad all the time. This was his best expression. (sighs) He did that a hundred times a day. There was no clerk or no server who could ever get anything right. He was just always aggravated. He was always angry. He died in his early 50s. I wonder if that is a lesson for some of us in there somewhere. I don't know. What's wrong with just being mad? When you get all the way to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, Jesus says, it's like the guy who builds his house on sand. You're basing your life on the wrong principle. You're going about life all wrong. And the rains came down and the winds blew and the storms came up. And you know what happened? The house fell with a great crash. You cannot build your life on that principle. It will not stand. Let me, let me see if I can um, share a story with you that I think can help make a lot of sense out of things. I've been reading this little book, and it's called Sons of Africa. And it's stories from the life of Elmer Smelzenbach. His father, Harmon, was the first Nazarene missionary in Africa in the early 1900s. And so he was born there in a little country called Swaziland, where we have been involved for the last seven years. And so grew up there speaking their language. That was home to him. He didn't know America. Even though he was white, he didn't know he was white. In 1925, excuse me, he said, my father said to me, my brother, my sister, you're moving to America to go to school. We we didn't know where America was. We, We were asking all kinds of questions. So, you know, where is it? They tried to show us on a map. That didn't really help. They tried to tell us in miles. That really didn't help. They tried to tell us by how many days it would take us to travel by ship. That really didn't help. When will we come back? We don't know. Will we come back? We don't know. When will we see you? We don't know. And he said it was, it was hard. I was upset. I didn't want to leave. And I was afraid. He said, I I remember for years watching my dad climb this mountain by our mission station. And he would go up to the top of the mountain and there was this rock up there. And he would kneel down at that rock and he would pray. And when he was really dealing with things in life, we knew that my dad would go up the mountain and he would go to the rock and pray. And so... I didn't know what to do. And so I remember one evening, Elmer says, as a young teenage boy, I walked up that mountain trail and I knelt at that rock to pray. Because I was upset. And I was going to try to work this thing out with God. And so I knew that I needed to get back down the mountain before nightfall. Because wild animals, this is Africa in 1925. But he said, I didn't get back down the mountain in time. And I found myself there surrounded by the darkness, trying to work this out with God. He said, I felt someone's presence. And I turned around and it was Joseph, a Swazi man who was converted to Christianity and became a preacher. 
And God used him powerfully to spread the gospel to the Swazi people. He was a man that Elmer describes as having a hotline with God. He says, Elmer, I've been talking to God about you and going to America. He says, God told me that when you finish your education, he wants you to come back here. Did he tell you that? And Elmer said, yes, Joseph, he told me that. Well, what did you tell him? I told him I would work that out after I got through school. No, <laughs> no, Elmer, you can't do that. God's talking to you today. God's calling you today. You've got to answer. And Elmer said, I started to cry. And I leaned forward and I put my forehead over on that big rock. And he said, in that moment, my rebelliousness began to melt away and my fear. And he said, I think I was talking to God and I think I was talking to Joseph. And I think I might have been talking to me too. And I said, God, I, I don't know what you can do with me or what you can do through me or how you can use me. It's a teenage kid now. Think about it. But if you want me to go to America, I will go. And if you want me to come back here, I will come back here. I'll do whatever, whatever you want me to do. He says, my first, my first three years in America, I just sat on, on um, hot water um, radiators. It was the coldest place I'd ever been in my life. He says, I never saw such a place. I was lonely and I was frightened in the men's dormitory in Idaho, what is now Northwest Nazarene College University. I could barely say a sentence in English. And I wasn't any better at trying to write one. I was 12,000 miles away. The winters seemed long and gloomy. The overcast sky made its shadow on my spirit. And weeks went by without mail from home. And while the loneliness further withered my soul and sapped my motivation to study, sometimes I felt like I couldn't make it another day. I want you to lean in. One time, in a moment of desperation, I skipped class and I went to my room to pray. I locked the door and I got down on my knees. Somebody in that moment came down the hallway putting letters under the doors. It was the way they delivered mail. They would just slide it under your door. A letter came sailing in under my door, landing at my knees. I picked it up, and it was a little white envelope addressed in pencil and postmarked Swaziland. Still kneeling, I ripped it open. And in Swazi, I read these words. My son, I have been to the rock. It was from Joseph. At the top of the mountain. And I talked to God about you. And he told me to tell you to reach through the clouds. And he would take your hand. And joy would come again. Elmer says, I soaked that letter with my tears as I reached through the clouds like Joseph told me to do. And sure enough, God's hand was there and he took mine. And the room was filled with his presence. And I went back to my classes revived in spirit because of Joseph's letter. I liked it too.
Do you know what? I think that's what this whole thing is about. I think it's about trusting God. I think it's about saying, what if everything doesn't work out like I wanted it to? And what if I feel fear because things have not worked out? What if it's about saying that even when things go terribly wrong in life, I mean really bad, that maybe God is going to be redemptive as He promised He would even in the tough situations of my life. And I don't have to be upset because things didn't work out. And I don't have to live in fear because things aren't working out. But I can trust God. I don't have to be angry with anybody. I don't have to control anybody. I can live my life as a member of the kingdom of God saying, you know what? God's got the whole world in His hands and He's got me in His hands and He's not turning a blind eye or a deaf ear to what's happening in my life. He's aware and He knows and all I have to do is just maybe let go. And I don't even have to control. What if I just trust? No matter what comes my way, There is a God and He is bigger than life and He has all power and He is watching over me. And when things don't work out, He is still watching over me. And when I'm tempted to feel afraid, He is still watching over me. And I don't have to live in angst. And I don't have to live frustrated. I can live in His peace. I went to see Paul and Don Anderson the other day. Paula had this tumor removed from her brain. When I talk to those people, they're not mad. They're not even angry. They're just saying, God is revealing Himself every day to us in a new way. He's he's watching over us. He's got His hand on us. Whatever comes into our lives, God is at work. So we don't have to be mad. We can just trust. And we don't have to control. We just trust. You want to stand with me for a moment? I, I think it's interesting when you, when you preach about a subject that is so pointed. And then, and then you feel a need to, to, to say, you know, if you want to come and pray this morning, you're welcome to. It, it's interesting because... If I go down and pray this morning, then everybody knows that I'm probably dealing with anger to some degree, right? Well, let me just remind you that your pastor confessed to his anger issues, so I think it's okay if you confess to yours, right? If I struggle with it, probably there's others here who struggle with it. And so, as I've prayed about today, I've wondered, you know, is is God going to do something amazing in somebody's life today? 
Is, is God going to allow this light come on where somebody sees something they haven't seen before? Yeah. When, when, when I get angry, it's because things aren't working out and I'm afraid that, yeah. And I don't have to be. I can just trust God with all of my life. I don't have to live in angst. I can live in trust. I've just been wondering, is God going to do something amazing for a few of us this morning? Is He going to deliver somebody from just living this angry life? And so this morning, if you want to pray, um, we have altars here and people come every week and pray around our altars and you can do that doesn't mean you're becoming a member of the church. It just means I found a place to talk to God. So I invite you to do that this morning. Maybe that you want to pray about something else going on in your life. Maybe you're concerned for someone, um, someone who is sick, someone who is hurting, and you want to pray for them, you can do that. Maybe as a family, you're going through something and you want to come and ask God for grace. You can come this morning and ask God for grace. If you want to be prayed for for physical healing, there will be pastors here. And they would be glad to pray for you, for your healing. Or if you want to become a follower of Christ this morning, if you say, I want to be a member of the kingdom of God. I want to be like that life you're describing. I want Jesus to change me, who I am from the inside. Make me totally different. Jesus can do that today. He can forgive you of your sin and transform your heart. So we're going to sing, and as we're singing, if you want to join those who are praying, just feel free to find a warm, family-friendly place to pray, okay?
Let me leave you with these good words, okay? I've been having these words on my mind all week. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we would ever ask or imagine. So he can do more than I would ever imagine God doing. He can do it in my life through his power that is at work within us. It is his power at work within us that is changing us. Amen. God bless you. As you leave, leave very quietly. And if you want to join those who are praying, feel free to do so. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.